I'm Charles Grodin. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. It is time for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 246 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels. TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, Charles Grodin joins us here at On Screen and Beyond. And Charles, of course, was the star of Beethoven, those movies with the dog, and uh, also Midnight Run with Robert De Niro. And uh, he was in Dave. He was in Heaven Can Wait, Catch-22, and just on and on and on. Just so many things he's done. And then, of course, he's also been a commentator for CBS. And uh, he's got his own radio show and talk show and everything. So it, it's just a lot of things he's done. And he's an author, too. He currently has a DVD out called The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk. Now, this is a great DVD because... If you are thinking, or you have a son or a daughter or whatever, thinking about going into the business of show business, no matter what it is, whether it's writing, directing, or acting, be sure to view this. Because he doesn't tell you not to do it. But what he does do is tell you some plain facts about you've got to have some thick skin. You want to watch this thing because it's very interesting. And, of course, he goes into uh, his usual talks about uh, things in show business that he's done and people he's met, the good, the bad, the ugly, the whole works. It's all there. So be sure to check that out. We have a link at onscreenorbeyond.com. Go to our book nook section, and you can see it in there. And we have a link, and you can just uh, go get it. And uh, it's a, a very interesting thing to check out. So, And let's see. The Oscars have been announced. And, uh, of course, they come out with more Oscar Best Picture nominations than they used to, uh, which uh, personally I think is a little ridiculous, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the Best Picture is Amour and Argo, Beast of the Southern Wild, and also Django Unchained, Les Miserables, and Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Lining Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. So what do you think? Which movie do you think will be this year's Best Picture as far as the Oscars? Go to our Facebook at onscreenandbeyond.com. You can scroll down to the bottom. We have a link right there. Go to us on Facebook and leave your uh, thoughts on that. We'd like to know what you think. So um, check that out. And uh, like I say, Charles Grodin is going to be coming up. A great guest coming your way, so be sure to get ready for that. And what do you say? We get into Remake Madness next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, Roger Corman is setting out to remake a whole boatload of films. In 2013, he will remake The House of Usher and then remake two films per year, including The Pit and the Pendulum, The Haunted Palace, and The Raven. Now, these are all films he's made, and they're going to remake them again. So it would be interesting to see what they do. I'm sure they're going to have a bigger budget than the originals, but uh, some of the actors they had in those originals were great, so it's uh, going to be a tough thing. And a remake of 1979's Going in Style, which starred George Burns and Art Carney, is also in the works, and we'll see what they do with that one. That's it for Remake Madness. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as upcoming new movies. 
Upcoming new movies, well, Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart will star in Get Hard, and it's about a wealthy investment banker who is convicted of a crime that he didn't commit, and he prepares for prison with the help of the guy who washes his car. And Disney has a film in development called Dolphin Boy. It's about a boy who recovers from a traumatic and violent attack with the help of dolphins. And look for Mark Wahlberg. He's going to star in an untitled hacker project about a hacker who sets out to take down the students of a suburban high school. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Sequel City, well, a sequel to Wreck-It Ralph is in the works. No big surprise there. And Kevin Smith says he plans on Clerks 3 to be his final film. We'll see if that's true. And Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland 2 is now in development over at Disney. That is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? We got it. It's next right here on On Screen and Beyond. TV on DVD, well, Time Life will release China Beach, the complete collection, in 2013. And on April 23rd, you can catch Restless Gun, the complete series, on DVD. And on March 5th, Wagon Train, the complete fifth season, rides into DVD. That is it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? Next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Movies on DVD. Well, in May, you can look for Bill Murray in Hyde Park on Hudson to hit stores on Blu-ray and DVD. Also in May, you can catch Gerard Butler in Playing for Keeps on Blu-ray and DVD and digital download. And James Tupper, who was also in the film, was a past guest recently in On Screen and Beyond. And you can look for that episode. Look for episode 239 in our rerun section at onscreenandbeyond.com. And you can hear him talk about that film. So uh, be sure to check that out. And while you're there, check out all the other interviews at onscreenandbeyond.com. And you can look for The Hobbit, an unexpected journey to arrive on DVD and Blu-ray in March. Currently in theaters right now, but uh, you can catch the DVD in March. So that is it for movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we have a great guest coming your way, Charles Grodin. He has a new DVD out called The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk. Now, this is something, like I said, you really want to watch if you are uh, thinking about going into directing or uh, acting or writing or anything like that dealing with show business because he, you know, he puts it right on the line. He doesn't uh, you know, snowball you or anything. He just tells it like it is. It is not an easy business, basically. 
So uh, if you want to get the real scoop, check that DVD out because uh, it should be something that uh, you know schools have for kids who are thinking about going into show business because it's tough, and uh, he, he lays it on the line. So be sure to check that out. We have a link at onscreenandbeyond.com. Go to our uh, book nook section, and we have a link right there where you can just uh, click on it and uh, go pick it up. Okay? So... Uh, Charles is coming up next. we got a great interview coming up with him, a lot of questions for him. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor, writer, and talk show host who has worked with Johnny Carson, Robert De Niro, Steve Martin, and Miss Piggy, just to name a few. He has been nominated for a Golden Globe and won an Emmy. He currently has a new DVD out called The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk, which gives practical advice for people thinking about entering show business. It's Charles Grodin. Charles, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you. I started to tell you something off the air, and I said, let's hold this for on the air. And I, I went to Maine recently for the first time. I I flew up for the day. Uh, I came to uh, have some kind of a telephone uh, contact. I don't know whether you're old enough to, to remember uh, when I was growing up, it was before television, mm-hmm. and uh, radio ruled the day. Yeah. And the, and the people, that, the, the comedy that ruled radio were Bob and Ray. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bob Elliott and Ray Goulding. Yes. And I came into telephone contact with Bob Elliott, and he said, who's now 90? And Ray passed away some time ago. And he, he, uh, he said to me once on, on the phone, would you ever think of visiting me? And I said, I, I would. And time went by, and, uh, you know, I, a lot of things happened with him. And, of course, being that age, I'm sure he forgot, but I'm, I didn't. And I... Uh, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. I remember everything I said, and I and make it a point to never, to always do exactly what I say I'm going to do, which will get you a medal these days. <laughs> I mean, anybody who actually does what they say they're going to do or returns phone calls or is just responsive in a reasonable way, it, it suddenly becomes extraordinary. Right. <laughs> anyway, I didn't, I didn't realize this until recent years. So I flew up to Maine for the day and spent the afternoon with uh, with Bob Elliott um, on his back porch, uh, and it was it was just an amazing amazing time. Uh, I remember my favorite exchange that happened with him was I, I said one of the things that gives me the most difficulty are the endless amount of people who present themselves as knowing everything about everything. <laughs> <laughs> They're just all knowing, and he said to me, uh, "I like to come away from a meeting with someone and, and remember one line, and preferably it's theirs." And in, in this case, he said to me that a network, a radio network executive, had said to him many decades ago, which he thought, "What? What did he think were, was the funnier color, blue or red?" He said, "Red." As though there's such a thing as a funny color. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's amazing, and it's become something that's. Um, Two things have uh, have have got have gotten to me over recent years. One, and and we will get to the perils of show business. I promise you. But <laughs> it's like I'm. It's like it's my show, and I'm gonna. I'm keeping <laughs> right. you from promoting your uh, DVD. Uh, the two things that 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 got that got me is how how few people 
seem to care about anything other than themselves. I mean, I, I don't think I fully grasped it, or maybe it's just gotten so worse that you can't miss it. Mm-hmm. That was one thing. And then the other thing, when I was in high school, we had elections for whatever reason every six months, uh, the homeroom elections. And then eventually in the 12th grade, it was um, all the homerooms uh, uh, went up against each other. Anyway, I won, I won the election uh, as president eight times in a row, and I, I honestly uh, had no idea why. And I'm talking about by landslides, and I wasn't the star of the football team or this or that. And I, I honestly had no idea why. And I asked a young woman, in a classmate, when I was about 16, I said, Joanne, why is this happening? And I wasn't being coy about it. And she said, you care about people. Well, as my mother used to say about me, it went in one ear and out the other. Because I thought at that time, well, well, everybody cares about people. <laughs> and it took me so long to realize more and more, maybe because I'm, I'm naive, I don't know, or I just like to see things a certain way, that, that it's very difficult <laughs> to find anyone. Yeah. Who cares about people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, right now, and I will get to the point of this uh, interview in a minute, but, but right now I'm, I've, I've been an advocate for uh, nonviolent inmates for about 17 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been very, I haven't, I've always been able, I've, I've never failed to get anyone out of prison, mostly because the cases I take on, when you take a look at them, you say, oh, this is in a, this, this shouldn't be happening. So that's why the success has come but this current case that i'm working on is beyond anything when i when i talk about it people you, you kind of have to hear it twice to say what did you just say this is about a boy named ryan hawley in florida he's serving life in prison with no chance of parole and he's convicted of premeditated murder wow. now here's where it gets a little if not a little here's where it gets truly impossible to believe no one disputes, including the prosecutor in the case, that he was home asleep in bed at the time of the crime. Now, that's really hard to believe. I've never even heard of anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened, it was a party, and he lent his car to one of his friends, which he had done many times before. He had no record. There's no criminal background here. And he went to sleep. And and the one of the boys at the party we lent the car to went out with others and committed a robbery and a murder, and they received appropriate sentences. Uh, but the boy who was home asleep in bed, and the prosecutor does not dispute it. He All he said was, no car, no murder. Well, wow. what if they had taken a bus? No bus, no murder? Right, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, this boy is now in in his 10th year of, of, of prison, premeditated murder, which means you, you had to know, okay, take my car, I'm going to sleep, and I know you'll go out and commit a murder. I mean, it just, it right. just boggles. It's just, it's impossible to believe it. Yeah. So I've been working on that case and contacting everyone. I just got a letter off to the uh, prosecutor this morning, um, who's now a judge, and I got I heard through different sources that uh, he's having some second thoughts. I mean, I know people like to win in the in in their courtrooms, but you know sometimes, you know, winning really isn't the most important thing. I've never, I've never defended anyone who was, who was involved in a violent crime. I've never been an advocate for that at all. Mm-hmm. But a boy home asleep in bed with no record. His mother works for an Air Force general, and of course she's just heartbroken. Now, if they had borrowed the mother's car, 
or it, the general's car. Oh, oh yeah, would, yeah, yeah. I, would I, they I, go I to guess jail? You could say the same thing. Yeah, I, I, you I, could I, say I don't know. the I same just, thing. In fact, I, I, I keep thinking of different things I can do or who I can get to help. You know, I, I, I reach out to everybody I know who knows someone and this and that. You know, and it really is very. Uh, yeah. He writes me from prison, this boy. Uh, as I say, his original plea offer was 10 years. He's now in his 10th year of wow. incarceration. This whole plea situation where they offer you 10 years, you know, to me, if you go to trial and you're convicted, you should get 10 years. Right. <laughs> but, no, he gets life with no chance of parole. Uh, in a case I, I took on before this, uh, a woman was offered 7 to 12 years. A young woman was high on crack cocaine. Happily, I don't know anything about this, but she she tells me it's like you're you're just out of your mind. And she was she pawned some stolen jewelry while high on crack cocaine and was offered a plea deal of twenty of, of seven to twelve years. Didn't didn't went to trial and was sentenced to twenty seven and a half to fifty five years. Wow! And I was able to get her out by showing the governor of New York that. Uh, she actually didn't do. I mean, she was convicted of get this a woman. First, when they when when somebody called the case to my attention, I, I didn't even understand it. She's convicted of rape. Well, I never even heard of that. A woman convicted of rape. Mm. Uh, she's convicted of sodomy, which is uh, oral sex, and she's convicted of of robbery. None of which she did. Mm. And and she would have died in prison if I hadn't gotten involved and. Um, and and then just got the governor of New York to say, look, this woman didn't do any of these things. I mean, she right now she's going for her master's degree. She got a degree in sociology while in college, while in prison. Mm -hmm. yeah. And now she's going for her master's degree. But it's uh, it's unending. Now to come to the the uh, perils of show business. <laughs> well, before you do, it, I, I'm just curious though. Before we get into that, yeah. uh, what made you decide to go into well, thank you this for that aspect. question. I, 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 in 1995, um, I stopped. I pretty much stopped doing movies because my son was entering school, and mm -hmm. I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. And so I had a show on CNBC after Geraldo Rivera. Okay. Um, and the way they the way they described it at the time, I was supposed to be the dessert after this kind of a, uh, you know, uh, and you know they figured I would come in with the comedy after like uh, the, at that time it was the O.J. Simpson case, and uh, mm -hmm. pretty soon you know I I be I began to be aware of certain things. Somebody would come on the show and uh, start talking about in this case the Rockefeller drug laws under which that woman no she wasn't under that the, the women I originally got out in the in the 90s one woman the case was so horrific that they changed they actually revised the law uh, this is a mother on welfare four young children the youngest is two months the oldest is six years and she's and somebody offers her twenty five hundred dollars just to deliver a packet of uh, cocaine to Albany. and So it's a police sting where a drug dealer is trying to get a break on his own charges. She hands the package over, and she's arrested on the spot and is sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. Wow. A No record, on welfare, desperate. I interviewed her son at the time as well. He was 23 at this time when I got to him. And uh, as he told me, we had nothing. Um the heartbreaking part of this story is the boy, the interview with the boy was one of the most touching 
I've actually memorized parts of it where, where, where he said uh, he referred to, to, to going to see his mother as that, that dreadful journey. Mm. And he said as time went by, people would pass away and people just couldn't do it anymore. And every time he would be there, he wanted to take his mother home with him because he could only stay for five hours. And and he, he ended the interview with me, which I showed to the uh, the leadership of the Republican leadership in New York State, which helped get his mother out. He said, my mother raised me from prison, and I try to lead my life as a tribute to the job that she did. And then he said, I try. I try. And then this boy, who was then 23, went on to become about as famous an AAU girls basketball coach as we had in America. He would go into the inner cities and get young black girls at risk and bring them out, and some of them are actually in the WNBA today. Now, here's the heartbreaking part of the story. I I spoke at his funeral last January. He was in his mid-30s. He died from cancer and a heart attack. He had internalized so much of his upset. He wasn't a boy, a young man who said he just didn't complain about anything. So it all went inward, and there he was in an open coffin. His mother asked me to be the first speaker at this black congregation in Harlem. I'm sure most of the people there were just looking at me and saying, who is this white guy? (laughs) This is a guy from the movies. What is he doing up there, you know? In fact, when I sat down, someone tapped me on the shoulder from behind and said, were you his coach in school? <laughs> they didn't even hear anything I said. Right. <laughs> but I want to pass on to your audience what I did say, and I've, I've used it in my own life and for other tragedies that I've, I'm aware of. And what I said was, the next time something negative or whatever that happens to you that you don't like, just ask yourself, compared to what? compared yeah. to what I mean, I, be, I befriended a man whose son came home from Iraq uh, three years ago he was on leave from Iraq about to be deployed to Afghanistan and he and a, a fellow buddy uh, also in the same situation got drunk one night went out and the he's sitting in the uh, front passenger seat and the, the they're so drunk he swerved the driver swerved so far off the road that went into a tree and the boy was killed so between Iraq and Afghanistan, he's killed in Westport, Connecticut. Wow. Jeez. And I went to the wake there, and there's this young man lying in an open coffin with uh, medals and three younger sisters sobbing convulsively. And I entered into that family's life, and I said this compared to what? To his dad, who's become a good friend of mine. And uh, he said it's actually worked for him because uh, not that long ago, Somebody there, they had a theft in their house, and uh, his wife really took it very hard. And he just thought, like, compared to what? Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing to sad. apply to everything. But yeah, the, the, what the whole point of the perils of show business, which by the way, I, I I don't keep any money. I mean, you you read these stories in the paper, it seems constantly. There was one story that really got me. It was it was a it was a charity for to help veterans, and uh, they didn't give any money to the veterans. They, they kept it all themselves, and that was just criminal. And But very often it, it's not considered criminal to keep a large or a significant portion of money raised for a charity that sounds very good to keep it in right. what they call uh, human resources. Right, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I'm on the board of Help USA, which provides uh, housing and um, 
and uh, for people coming out of prison or victims of domestic violence, it's a training of all kinds. And they 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 take eight percent is used for human resources mm-hmm. to pay their staff. Well, my foundation is called Lend a Hand Foundation. It's a hundred percent goes to goes to the people that I try to help, and it's essentially people that are not covered by anybody. Mm-hmm. They don't have, they just don't have anything. Um, mostly it's been two women I got out of prison. It's just very hard for them to pay the bills and support the children and all the things that, that you run into. But the, the point of the perils of show business, of what what motivated me to do it, was I, I studied acting for eight years, uh, University of Miami, Pittsburgh Playhouse, Uta Hogg, and Lee Strasberg, read every book I could get my hands on to try to understand how do you do this. And, and uh, never once did I read, nor did anyone ever say, that approximately 3% of the, I'm sure, more than a million people every year go into show business to be an actor, a director, a writer, whatever. Right. 3% would make a living, and 1% would you have ever heard of. And this is not because of a lack of talent, because in my experience, there was not a lack of talent. There were plenty of talented people that I saw along the way. What it has to do with were a couple of things. Number one is you have to be able to handle unending rejection. And right. many, many people just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my first book I wrote was I was making a movie in London in uh, 1974 with Candace Bergen. We were shooting in a castle outside of, um, I think, outside of Oxford University. And and uh, we were just sitting in a room. The cameras were in the hallway. And a woman lo- opened the door, looked in, and, and, and said to us, uh, did someone ask you to wait in here? And I said, no. And she said, it'd be so nice if you weren't here. <laughs> and I used that as the title of my first book. It was a bestseller. And it was all about overcoming uh, everything you have to overcome to Forget about being famous, just to make a living mm-hmm, right. in show business because the the message is so overwhelmingly go away. I mean, I noticed brief, uh, recently in Jack Klugman's obituary, whom I worked with in the early 60s, right. that he and I had gone to school and in in, both had gone to acting school in Pittsburgh, and he was told the same thing that I was, which is, go away, get out of the business, you'll never... <laughs> You know, to them, if you didn't have an English accent, what were you even doing in show business? Right, yeah. <laughs> and they were trying to get me to what they called mid-Atlantic, which to me sounded like an English accent. I remember this very nationally renowned uh, acting teacher saying, how can you possibly expect people to pay to see you act speaking the way you do, which is the way I speak right now? Right. And luckily for me, when she said that, I thought to myself, well, Spencer Tracy doesn't sound the way she wants me to sound. Montgomery Cliff doesn't sound that way. Mm-hmm. The, the actors that I admired, uh, they sounded like people. Yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was, I don't know, I just developed a very thick skin. And when people would make fun of me as a beginner, instead of feeling down about it, I, I just thought, why would they be making fun? I don't know how to do this. That's what I'm doing here. <laughs> And, and and then I went on to studied with Uta Hagen, who was a very famous uh, acting teacher in New York. And I, I, I'm never, I do have a lot of questions, but I don't mean them as a wise guy. I just mean I have a lot of questions. Questions and, are good. And my question was, um, excuse me, well, why are we carrying imaginary suitcases? 
why are we opening imaginary windows? And I had no idea that this would, would provoke her to hate me. <laughs> I had no idea. That, and I saw her toward the very end of her life. We were at a gathering together, and she said that she was sitting on a sofa, and she said to someone sitting beside her whom I knew, she said, he came into my class and acted like he knew everything. And I said, I'm terribly sorry if I gave that impression. And the fact is, I didn't know anything. And she looked at me, and I know she believed me because she just took my hand and kissed it. Mm, yeah. I, I really, uh, these were serious questions, and right. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking legitimate questions. Right, yeah. Uh, but some people do. But my first big movie was with uh, was uh, Roman Roman Polanski directed Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary, right? Yeah. And uh, he, if you would just want to discuss something, because I've directed a number of things, and I consider it a good idea if actors want to talk about this or that. They may have better ideas than I have. So, mm-hmm. and and I, I got about two sentences out of asking a question about something, and he just snapped at me. He says, "They pay me a lot of money to do this." <laughs> <laughs> and Mia Farrow later told me that John Cassavetes, who played the leading role, that and he was more like me and actually was a friend of mine, that he and Roman Polanski almost came, almost had a fist fight. Jeez. Oh, I mean, you are allowed to have a discussion. You 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 must understand that the director, somebody has to have the last word. And that would right. be the director. Yeah. And I understand that, but you should also be able to ask a question, and you know, don't do it rudely, and don't. I remember, I, I'm deliberately not mentioning names, I did a movie, and and I would say this, and I would do this, and, the, and they would they, they would like it, and they would go along with it, and the leading lady would do it, but they didn't they didn't care for some of the things. She didn't seem to fit the tone of the movie, mm-hmm. and she would get very, very angry. And, and I took her into my dressing room, into the motorhome, and I said, look, you know, it's not in your interest to get very angry and pout if people don't do what you want. She says, well, they always do what you, what you want to do. I say... But if they didn't, I wouldn't act that way. Mm, yeah, it's up to them to decide. I mean, this was a real family movie, and she would improvise a line like a young man came to take our our young daughter out, and then she would say something like, "You're so good looking, you can keep her out all night." Well, you know, it just doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I had to say that. But but the essential thing of the perils of showbiz, which by the way you can get from Amazon dot com, mm-hmm. uh, and again. All, all the money, if, if I ever get any money, um, will we'll go to uh, 100%. Will go to this Lend a Hand Foundation that I that I established. The, the essential message is that is that I really I don't really know the figures on how many people coming out of high school become, uh, say, drama majors in college, or decide to do it once they're in college, or once they get out decide to study in in this. Uh, I don't know if I mean. I think I think it's a very significant number because it seems like wow, I'll be in the movies or this or that, right. you know. And and somebody should at least make them aware. That doesn't mean they shouldn't do it, but they should be aware of the facts. Are it's like saying I think I'll I'll, I'll run for president. Well, you know, good luck. You know, right? Chances <laughs> are you won't be elected. <laughs> <laughs> good, good example, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't really want to. It just, it's just to try to give a sense of reality to what's going on, and that's the first thirty minutes where I talk about my experience as an actor, as a director, as a writer, and the next thirty minutes of the DVD, which is an hour long, are a 
about different people I work with, and it's called Afterthoughts. And, and half of them I have very nice things to say about, and half of them I don't. Mm-hmm. And I do that deliberately because I feel the people that are abusive should be called out. Yeah. And I want people to know that, you know, after me, somebody else might do this. I mean, I want, one of the things I mentioned in that second part was I once had a meeting with uh, the the late director, Robert Altman, who directed yes. MASH, yes. the movie. And he was known to like improvisation, and I, and and I did a lot of improv. I was known for doing that. So somebody set up a meeting, and I'm with him. Within five minutes, the two of us in an office. He looks at me and he says, "I know I should like you, but I don't." And I and what I said was the only. I wasn't really there long enough to be disliked. You have to know me a little longer. <laughs> and, and, and and the only thing I could come up with because I've seen it before is there are certain people that expect a certain amount of deference. Uh, I had this happen when I spent a little time with the cousin of the Queen of England. I had a conversation with her. And they just don't, the way we're speaking right now as equals, it's just not appropriate to them. Mm. In fact, one, uh, Barbara Taylor Bradford, the author I had as a guest on my CNBC show years ago, she told me she was about to meet the Duchess of Kent, and she was given one instruction, don't speak unless you're spoken to. Well, I mean, you know, it's a way of life. It's nothing I can embrace. I mean, people became royalty way back when, when somebody won a war in Germany and declared themselves king. That's what. That's how it all started. Right. <laughs> so I'm not too big on deference. Uh, you know, I don't look up or down. Everybody, if you want to judge someone, you do it by character, mm-hmm. not by skin color, not by status, not by all the things that seem to seem to come in there. Right, yeah. And anyway, um, now what made you decide to do a video as opposed to a book? Uh, I never. I, I guess I did. Well, I, you know, I've written a lot of books. Right. My my son always needles me because uh, I've written four memoirs, and if my son doesn't see me for a month or so. He'll say, uh, "Written any new memoirs?" <laughs> you know. So I've written all about my uh, experiences, and I didn't really. I felt what I had to say. Uh, which is really in the first 30 minutes, really wasn't a full book. And if I made it in more elaborate, I would be repeating things I had written in books. Mm, I wanted to keep it tight. Uh, I wanted to, originally it was supposed to be 30 minutes, and I decided to do this extra 30 minutes. I wanted to just put the facts out there and not necessarily, there are are some of, of course, some of my personal experiences, but I I already had written, um, oh, three books that are related uh, to, to, to this that have things like this in it. But this is a video. It's an hour long. And ideally, it should, it should and I'll, I'll probably try to get this uh, done at some point, it should really be, be bought by superintendent of schools. Right. Oh, yeah. And distributed in high schools yeah. where people sometimes make their choice of what they want to do. Then they can do it, I, and I'm, I, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, but I, you know the, the three people you would have heard of that were at, around the time that I was, was studying were, would be uh, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Wilder, and me. But that didn't necessarily mean we were the three best. We were the three that could handle it. Right. That, yeah. But even even in that case, if uh, if Mel Brooks hadn't taken a liking to uh, Gene Wilder, if, uh, if Mike Nichols hadn't cast uh, Dustin Hoffman, and if Elaine May hadn't taken a liking to me. Uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you talk about rejection. You know, is yeah. a big thing in the career of show business. I mean, you've done su- such big things and a lot of great work, but do you still get rejection? 
All the time. Really? All the time. I'll give you a perfect example how, how this sustains. I've had three plays produced in New York, all three completely sold out. And I have a great deal of difficulty getting another play on. I just sent a play to somebody today. Um, it's just very difficult, even though all three sold out. I've never written anything that was to be spoken. I mean, not every book I've written was a bestseller, but I've never written anything like a television special or a movie uh, that didn't make money. Right. Yeah. And you would think, well, then I should be able to get things on. It. I mean, a perfect example right now of how odd it all is, or one of my uh, more successful movies was Midnight Run. Right. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> well, they're doing a sequel right. of it, but they haven't asked me to be in it. That, see, that makes no sense to well, me. Well, that's what I say. <laughs> I think that's really odd. Now, if you want a younger person in it, you make it. I think they're doing it. The idea is to do it with with Bob De Niro and someone playing my daughter, uh, okay. which uh, which is fine. But I, if I were to tell you I'm making a sequel of Midnight Run, but De Niro's not in it, I, I would say, well, that seems a little odd. Right, yeah. And then I understand they're interested. They're exploring doing another Beethoven movie. And even though I did the first two, which each grossed $1 billion, uh. Uh, they don't seem to be interested in having me in it. See, see that makes no sense. Well, I called. I actually, I actually got the head of the studio on the phone. I said, "I'm, I'm confused. You know, uh, happily, I don't need to do these movies. Right. Uh, but I, you know, I, I just sort of, and and all he said to me, he's a very nice man, and all he said to me was things change, and I decided not to be rude and say. <laughs> Like what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the other the other problem you run into in show business, and I'm sure everywhere, is uh, a lot of people making decisions really don't know what they're doing. That's <laughs> they have no idea, and they don't know they don't know. And one of my assets, because I've been a commentator uh, either on television now last twelve years on radio with sixty minutes with CNBC with MSNBC. Uh, I think one of the reasons that I've sustained is I I'm not uncomfortable saying I don't know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't and, and and I'm proud to say in 17 years of being on the air, I you, nobody could look back and say yeah but you you misstated or you said that in other words I I verify facts several more sources than you normally see yeah and the other thing that I find a lot in in reporting in the newspapers and television or even radio reporting uh it's very difficult to follow what people are talking about it's they're making an assumption that everybody knows exactly what the fiscal cliff is right well everybody doesn't right yeah i mean (laughs) and and that most things are way more complicated and even the so-called experts don't even agree on what things mean Mm -hmm. so i mean we need to slow down there you you know one of the movies that you made that reminds me of this uh, yeah. though is the movie Dave right uh, right remember he, he took yeah, it down well, to that, the that simplest line, that line about uh, if I ran my business like this I'd be out of business right well that's right I mean because common sense does come into it a lot and uh, uh, it, it, it's interesting you know I had a sometime in the last year you know I just I just went against one of the things I do in my commentaries never say it's interesting let somebody else decide if it's interesting <laughs> I should say I should have said it was interesting to me mm-hmm. when I had a lunch with Kevin Klein who played Dave sometime about a year ago and he said to me um, you know he, he, and I didn't even know this he said to me, he says you know you improvise your whole role I said I did. I wasn't even aware. Evidently, the director didn't, you know, just let me do it, you know. 
He says, yeah. And then he said something which I thought was very, it was kind of touching that he would have been asked because he's, a, he's a, quite an incredibly accomplished actor. I mean, I, I've watched that movie he did called The Lovely, the story of Cole Porter, mm-hmm. more than a few times. Yes. And, and uh, he said, you find if you improvise, it comes from a deeper place and it's truer for you. And I was surprised he asked the question because the, the answer to me is obviously yes. If it fits the script, yeah, you can't just go off. And uh, I was offered a movie recently uh, where where they felt that the part wasn't big enough that I could improvise. Well, the part was a page and a half, and you couldn't improvise because it was a, a detective. And those aren't the kind of roles you can improvise because there's certain questions, certain answers. Right. Yeah. You're not going to say, and I remember the time I went to Florida, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I really recommend, I hope that your listeners, uh, particularly if you know someone, a relative, a friend, someone who's, who's, who's thinking about going into showbiz, this isn't telling people not to do it. It's just to be aware okay. yep. of what you're dealing with. And, and if you don't have a kind of a thick skin, uh, it's, it's probably, I, I remember a line of, of my, my first agent said to me when I, was 21 i said should i should i have pictures made he said sure have pictures made then the people who don't want to see you will know who it is they don't want to see <laughs> but this was rampant what, what a publicity woman said to me your impact on entering a room is as though someone just left mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to be able to take that stuff and later use it for comedy yeah because there's so many people that are telling you to go away mm-hmm. and in fact one time there was a major uh, casting director named Marion Dougherty. She used to cast a uh, series in New York called Naked City. And right. I, somehow I got a meeting with her, and she said, you're just the kind of young man that I, um, I, I, I like to, you're a serious young man. I could put in a small part of this series I cast, Naked City. Would you like that? Well, I was driving a cab at the time, so I said, uh, yes, I, I would like that. And I left her office, and, I, and outside her assistant was someone I'd been in acting class with. And we said hello, and she said to me, uh, I remember you as someone who took a lot of long pauses. And I went up to the elevator a little nervously, you know, and then I never heard from the woman. And so eventually I called her assistant. I thought, well, she probably told her he's going to take a lot of long pauses. So I asked her if she'd like to have lunch, and she said uh, she didn't have lunch. And she said it in such a way that I chose not to say, how about dinner? Well, I never got a call from the casting director. And an agent later told me, oh, oh I, I wrote her a letter. I just said, I just want to, you know, um, remind you of our conversation. And if there's any issue about me, I can go as fast as you need me to go, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, and, 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 and her response was to tell uh, the, the, whoever was representing me at the time, if I even hear he's in the building, I'm going to have him thrown out. Hmm. Now, why I think, you know, and I showed the letter later after I got the after I heard that to, to somebody because I had a copy of it. And I, it was just it, it was a perfectly polite letter, but if you call someone's attention to a promise not kept, I mean I don't know what they thought I was going to do. And I've been, I, you know, recently I I was in a, I, I had a play running in New York in two thousand seven, and they didn't have any understudies, so I had to go on once carrying the script for uh, one of the characters. And I remember one of the supporting characters saying, because it was the leading role, saying to me, gee, you, you take a lot of pauses. And I'm thinking to myself, 
Yeah, my name is Charles Grodin. I've starred in a lot of movies. <laughs> Maybe you ought to take a few pauses. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm just pausing. You have to fill that with, with thinking. Right, yeah. You have to see the person thinking. But it's like, well, wait a minute, you know. And, and so over the years, and in recent years, and particularly now, um, you know, you get re- rejection is like the name of the game. Yeah. Uh, it just that's just the way it's going to be. And and uh, and I and I, for some reason, I just had a tough skin, and I I I just uh, was very good at persisting, and and, and that that's that's true not just in in the in the show business world, but in the uh, and, and being an advocate for inmates, I mean, what I'm doing with this boy who was home asleep in bed, who's serving a, a, a life uh, a life term. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just I've been on this for six seven years, and I, you know, I'm 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 reaching all the way. I actually got a meeting with Attorney General Holder about about him. Wow. Um, and he and nothing happened. But but the, the thing the thing is, I I, I just don't quit. I just right. that's. What- that's you, what you're can't, gonna do. you can't do that, and, and you, yeah. no matter what you do, you got to keep trying. You got to keep giving it your all, and you gotta you gotta work hard at it. And- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And in the perils of show business, you mentioned about, like you had said earlier, about lifting, uh, opening windows, yeah, and, and opening taking a shower, and sitting in a chair and f- falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, do you think, in general, that, like you say, wh- wh- why is this? You know, but in general, do you think that it helped when you did the Great Muppet Caper? Say, no, it didn't? I don't think it ever helped. I really? Think, <laughs> no, because because what the only good, the, what was good about studying for eight years. Was I got used to being up in front of people, uh-huh, yeah. sometimes hostile teachers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, so you got to be. I remember I got an audition for my first Broadway show, and they actually came out of the audience, and which I thought was inappropriate, and sent everyone else home who was waiting to audition, and said, "We want you to do this role," and they couldn't believe how little. I had been in no other Broadway shows. I had my my background was my background was not one where you would think I would be that relaxed standing on a Broadway show, uh, on a Broadway stage. Uh, but what they didn't fully grasp was I'd spent eight years in front of often hostile teachers, and uh, and the experience of doing that. Now, when I went on to Lee Strasberg and he wanted us all to take an imaginary shower. I decided I wasn't going to ask why, because I had I had I had gotten so much uh, criticism from the previous teacher Uta Hagen about asking anything that I just didn't ask. And as far as as far as then they would and they still do this they, when they they, they get um, it's what they call relaxation exercise. You go up and you try to fall asleep on a chair on stage with everybody else in the class. Mm-hmm. Well, as I probably might have said on this uh, on this DVD, trying to fall asleep in a chair will teach you how to fall asleep in right. a chair. As far as relaxing, the way to relax um, 
and a friend of mine was appearing who's not a professional. It's an, an author friend of mine, and, and he, he called and said, yeah, I feel kind of nervous. Uh, do you have anything you could say to me? He was going to appear to talk about his book. And I said, just concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And you, you're not, there's not a big call for, okay, in the next scene of this movie, you're falling asleep <laughs> in the chair. You know, there's just not a call for this. So right. what you focus on is what you're supposed to be doing. Who are you and what you're supposed to be doing? And then this is easier said than done. And you tried, it's it's simply said, you try to make it personal. I just did something for the first time uh, in a very, very long time, a uh, special victims unit of law and order. And and it, it, it was received very, very well. And what, what, what you try to do is you try to find a way to make the situation, no matter what it is, make it personal to you. So when they're talking about whatever they're talking about, in your mind, they're really talking about something else. And that will engender from you a proper reaction. I mean, this was about, I, I played the head of a private uh, school, and they were... Uh, there were charges of child molestation at the school, which I had no awareness of, and I really resented that anyone was even saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that part I could easily personalize by just feeling like, let's say I was the head of a private school, you're looking at me like I would allow something like that to go on. In fact, one of the lines was, uh, this teacher you're accusing of, it's my son was in his class. Mm-hmm. You actually think, I, you know, and, and so that wasn't difficult to do, but then when I realized that it was true, and I have to apologize at the end, what was going through my mind, which had nothing to do with the story, was when my son was 12 years old, for the first time, the only time, we ran into a real bully coach. I mean, he almost took the interest in sports, basketball, away from all the boys. They had been very successful. And he was really, uh, in fact, you know, his father's a local dentist. And I I sometimes think, because I've already written him, it's been many years, I almost think I I like to sit down with his father so I get a better understanding. Because I never met anyone like this this guy, this son. I mean, I can't even repeat to you, because we're on the radio, how he spoke to the boys. Wow. I can't even, I wouldn't even say those words. (laughs) And... uh, I tried. I was, uh, I was on the, uh, the advisory uh, committee for youth sports, and I tried to get him fired and didn't have enough support. But after the season, a number of parents called me and said, you were right. We should never have tolerated that. I mean, he, he did so many things, and not just to our kids, but if, if we were beating it, we could be ahead of a team by 45 points, and he'd leave all the starters and oh, humiliate yes. the other team. You see that a lot. You know. Yeah. Now, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Yeah, why, why massacre them? Yeah, why, why yeah. are you doing that? I mean, uh, and, and, and worse. My, my son was, uh, one game I was watching, he was running up and down the court, and my son later turned into an all-state player, so he was very good. But he's he's noticeably limping, and I had to go across the gym to the people who were in charge of the whole program and say, would you ask the coach to take my son out of the game? And then he was on crutches for weeks. Oh, jeez. So, you know, you have to speak up. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's much more pleasant just to sit and have laughs, but sometimes you're called upon to speak up and, and do everything you can, and... uh Sometimes you're not liked for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's for sure. <laughs> you know, that's 
that's what you. But but ironically, uh, with Lee Strasberg, who was considered, you know, the top acting teacher, I didn't take the imagination shower. I probably was up there uh, uh, trying to fall asleep in a chair just because he said everybody go up there. <laughs> but one time, two years into my three years there, uh, he was. You could see brilliant people, really brilliant people mm-hmm. up there, and he could. He would talk. He would. By the time he get finished criticizing, they'd want to just. Like go, let me just lie down on the dirt somewhere, you wow. know. And and two years in, at one point, he just kind of was in the middle of his criticism. He 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 looked over at me, and and all he said was, "Do what he does." Hmm. Well, that meant a lot. Yeah, that meant a lot. That was a kind of an approval. But do you think that doing it to to sort of like boot camp, just to to pound you to the dirt, and then just, you know... I don't really know, because I... It's funny you say that, because I recently wrote a commentary about boot camp, where I was in boot camp, and this guy found it upon himself. He found it necessary to say... This was in this was in uh, Illinois, and, and his first sentence, I'm not going to use the word, but he said, how many of you dumb, and then the most vile thing you could think of, mm-hmm. are from New York? Well, I, you know, I don't know what his intention was, but I just stood there and thought, what's the matter with this guy? Then he wanted to know if anyone couldn't swim, and one kid raised his hand, and he threw him into the deep water. Mm, well, a bunch of us jumped in and pulled him out. Now, this guy, I don't know what he thought was going to happen, but all he got was uh, everyone hated him. Right, yeah. What do you think is going to happen if you if you act like that toward people? And, yeah. and so many people don't seem to understand understand cause and effect yeah respect goes a long way it, it's it's crucial yeah you That's must crucial. you know and and then give some thought to somebody other than yourself mm-hmm. yeah you know there's plenty of time for you to think about yourself more time than you need yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway it's called the perils of show business proceed at your own risk amazon.com and and it's for anyone who's even thinking of uh and it's a dvd of of, of going at the show but i think it's very worthwhile and again i I, I, I will give any penny I make. I will give it away. Yeah. And and we actually already have a link on our site in our book nook section on our website. Oh, thank uh, you. And we'll put one up when we put this episode up. And and uh, I, I'd like to finish up with a couple, just a couple questions. Is that sure. okay? Um, just one quick uh, question. Well, you about... sure monopolize the conversation, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I'm sorry, Charles. <laughs> You're seeing the worst of me there. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, is it true that you had an uncredited part in Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? You know, this is why you got to be careful about Wikipedia. I was well, at that's the university. I, I was at the University of Miami in 1954 when it says I was in 20,000 leagues under the sea. Ah, okay. It also says that my name was Grodinsky, and it wasn't. Ah, yeah. See, that, that's why I ask these things and, and and wonder if all of this is well. Real, it, it, or? Most often, it's not. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not just thinking about myself. Most often, you have to really. Double and triple. You just can't go by what you're reading there because they. I don't know where why anybody would say that. Yeah, yeah. And and now, in the '60s and uh, '70s, you also did a lot of things with Paul Simon. Right. Um, now, were you friends with him, or did you just happen to end no, up working together? No, um, I was in Catch Twenty Two with Art Garfunkel, mm-hmm. and um, after that movie was completed, uh, he introduced me to Paul Simon, and they asked me. If I would go around and find the best documentarian, I had an idea for a special. They were doing a primetime special for CBS, and I had an idea for it. And uh, 
they liked the idea was how Paul Simon's songs were formed by the events of the 60s. Mm-hmm. And this was 69. And, uh, and I went around and met with a number of documentarians, the top people in the field, and they're all outstanding at what they did, but they all had their own idea of what they wanted to do. So I came back and I said to uh, Paul and Art that uh, I thought I should do it. I've never lacked in confidence, even though my entire experience in directing uh, or writing in television was with Candid Camera, where I was fired uh, three times in a six-week period. But even then, uh, I won't go into the whole story, but they, I mean, I... I the last time I was fired, Alan Funt asked me to uh, go out to JFK Airport and then put up fake men's room signs so when people would open the door, there'd just be a brick wall. And I'd say, oh, gee, Alan, I don't know. And, you know, a man comes off an airplane, he wants to use the men's room. I don't think, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, 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 it's an area for comedy to say, smile, you're on candid camera. Just go do it. Well, it was just what I said. It was a disaster, and he fired me. Mm. Now, after that, I, I did about three very highly successful, one an Emmy, everything, uh, specials, and then somebody on his behalf called me to direct a candid camera special. I said, no, that's all right. Three times is enough. Uh, you know, I don't think I ever should have been fired. I didn't do anything. Right, yeah, yeah. But uh, so I I ended up making this uh, Simon and Garfunkel special uh, with AT&T as the sponsor. And um, I don't know if this is in the DVD, this uh, this little story, but uh, I did an outline of it. I gave it to them, and um, and after I completed it, as just as the outline indicated it would be, uh, a man from NW Air Advertising representing AT&T confronted me in an office, just the two of us, and he was furious at me, and I had no idea why. I was 34 years old. I just had no idea. And he, very angry, said, you're using our money to sell your ideology. And I said, what's my ideology? (laughs) And he said, the humanistic approach. (laughs) And I again said, not being a wise guy, you, you, you mean there are people against? (laughs) <laughs> the humanistic approach, and he said, "You're gee damn right there are. Uh, the Southern affiliates of AT and T are not going to want to see little black children going to school with little white children." Oh, geez. Well, then he asked me to make some changes. I said, well, "Like what?" He said, "When Coretta Scott King says poverty is a child without an education, uh, lower the sound." I said, "Lower the sound to what level?" And he actually said, "Inaudible." Wow. Well, they took their name off it. I had a meeting with the person in charge at CBS, and they chose to run it just the way I had delivered it. Uh, I was advised then by my agent, uh, perhaps seek work in uh, other areas of show business. The Nixon White House asked to see a copy. The Washington Post did an op-ed piece about uh, how on earth did this get on the air. This was like Bob Hope comedy special time Sunday night. Nine o'clock, but ironically, forty over forty years later, it's re-released, and the Paley Museum for the Arts in New York is honoring it uh, February third. And Art Garfunkel and I'll be there. Wow! And now that there again, that goes back to what you have in your DVD. But you have to have thick skin, even you know, yes. not just the acting side, but the yes. producing, directing. Yeah, yeah, every, every, everywhere. And and I mean, I, there's nothing that I have. I mean, I have. A, I don't know. I don't, well, I've got like. Three or four plays, maybe maybe five, and an equal amount of movies. I have no doubt at all that they'll be successful. I, I just have I don't have any doubt at all because number one, it's very hard for me to even if I write it, it's very hard for me to like something. 
In other words, I'm a very tough audience. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hard to get me if I would, and I don't because I just don't have the mind for it. If I were going to watch television, in fact, I, I wrote something about this recently. Uh, or even if you watch the late night uh, comedians uh, standing up, uh, their stand up, their opening monologue, uh, the audience is screaming with laughter. You, either you see there's an assi- a sign up there, or somebody's telling them to do it because. Uh, it's not funny. Right, yeah. I mean, I recently heard David Letterman say, I mean, Regis Philbin has been a devoted friend to him mm-hmm. uh, for decades. And, and he actually got up there in his monologue and said, you know what the longest day is? Anytime you spend some time with Regis Philbin. Oh. And I just thought, oh, why would he say something like yeah. that? Yeah, What on earth oh. purpose is there? I mean, it's not funny. Yeah. And it's not true. Yeah. yeah. He's actually a very delightful guy. Oh. So... You know, it's 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 an odd. It's you know, it's like it's like a microcosm for everything. Yeah. There 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 are people all over the place who don't know what they're talking about, who can't wait to tell you what to do, and you just have to have a very thick skin, and you have to. I've only worked with two actors in my life, Ellen Burstyn and Robert De Niro, who are willing. It sounds funny because uh, Robert De Niro is known for you know his his dedication and everything, mm-hmm. but they were willing to just to go over the lines to the degree that I wanted to do it. Because you have to know the lines to such a degree that it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that you cannot be thinking about your lines. Right, yeah. You know, uh, I, went, I once I was in a show and, and an actress said to me, what do you do if you're suddenly standing there and you realize a thousand people are staring at you? I said, that thought would never enter my mind. I've got my job to do. Right, yeah. And... Their job is to watch it. My job is to do it. And I, I just am not, you know, I mean, like right now as we're talking, I'm just trying to communicate best I can in response to what you're saying or to make whatever point I'm making. Mm-hmm. I can't really sit here and, and think to myself, I wonder how I'm coming over. Right, yeah. Uh, however I'm coming over, if you ask five people, you get five different answers anyway. True, true. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now, of all the movies you've made, is there a favorite that you... Yes, it's Midnight Run. Midnight Run. Yeah. I like Midnight Run. I think it's the freshest. It's the most unexpected. It's 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 one that's so unlikely uh, that a guy who's bringing somebody in, who's captured somebody who's out on bail and has escaped that breaks his bail bond, that these two men you would feel would be friends by the end of the movie. That's that's such mm-hmm. an unlikely premise. Right. Yeah. And uh, and yet you believe it. Yeah. And, and and I like that. And I like the Beethoven movies because the whole family can enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And um, now you went against the the grain of what they always tell you. They tell you don't work with kids and animals. I and, know. And you did. <laughs> I know. And and thank the Lord for the kids and the animals too. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it's just uh, you you go. It was just. I mean, look. It, it didn't. It didn't hurt. One, one. One. One last little story about that. The. The. In the Beethoven movie, the head of the Universal Pictures at that time, uh, he must have been on the set of Midnight Run because I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't know him uh, for a minute. I just wouldn't know him. And he said to Ivan Reitman, who had produced, uh, I think, Animal House, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. had a lot of a big track record. He was producing the Beethoven movie. He says, I don't think Charles Grodin is likable enough to be the dad in the Beethoven movie. And Ivan Reitman, without even having met me, said he's plenty likable enough. And that was the end of that. Now, and I had to ask myself, why would the head of the studio 
have said that, and I can only assume he was probably on the set, and I probably said hello to him like I did everyone else. And he was probably one of these people who said, don't you understand I'm the head of the studio? Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't sense that from you. So, you know, people that need that probably aren't going to like me. Yeah. yeah. And people that appreciate that I'll treat everybody exactly the same, uh, they, they will they will like me. But, you know, you can't get everybody to like you. And you, all you can worry about is you, you be true to yourself and you do what you say you're going to do and you keep your word and you mm -hmm. work hard at what you do. And that's the best you can do. And if people have a problem with that, like the Duchess of Gloucester or the head of the studio or Robert Altman, that's their problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always say to people, if anybody doesn't like me or really has a real problem with me, I'm going to guarantee you they got a problem with a lot of people. Right. Because I'm not, I don't act in a bad way to people at all. I just don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, Charles, I get two final questions to sure. wrap it up. Um, what are your favorite TV shows of all time? Well, you know, since I became an advocate for inmates 17 years ago, I stopped watching anything, and I'm a commentator for CBS mm -hmm. Network News, so I pretty much just watch the news, so I don't yeah. see the TV shows. I'm just trying to give you an answer. Yep. Let's see, let me see. TV shows of all time. Boy, that's that's a wonderful question. I, uh, I'd have to be going back 20 years ago because I haven't really watched TV. That's I don't fine. go to the movies either. That's fine. I'll tell you, I can, let me, let me, if you don't mind, I'll tell you what I do like. Sure. Yeah. And it was, it was on HBO. It's not now. And I have to, you know, it, it may not be for everyone. In fact, I know it's not for everyone, but if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with somebody named Ali G. Yes. Yes. This guy is a graduate of Oxford. His real name is Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm -hmm. I spoke to him on the phone one time, but he's what you call, he has my number. This guy. <laughs> This guy, just the thought of it. Sometimes if I just want to relax and I'm trying to fall asleep with that, I'll just think of things I've seen him do. I'll just tell you one, one thing that comes to mind that's fit for, fit for radio. He goes to, these are genuine um, musical uh, cri music critics. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, as one of the three characters he plays, what is Art Deco? And the guy answers him. He says, what is Art Nouveau? And the guy answers him. He says, what is Art Garfunkel. And the guy says, well, he's a singer. And then he says, well, wouldn't that be confusing to young people? And then I, and then my other favorite one is when he goes to a medium. I don't have a belief in this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And he and he goes as, as, a, as, a, as an extremely gay character. Right. Who yeah. he plays named Bruno. And he wants to put him in touch with, uh, with a former uh, lover of his. And, and, and he says, he says to the, uh, to the to the medium, does he know I'm wearing his, his favorite red panties? <laughs> and, the, and and the medium says, he knows, <laughs> and he's proud of you. Not so much for the panties, but for the way you've conducted your life. See, now that makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> or he'll go to a woman at a patriotic rally where she's wearing the American flag as a shirt and a helmet, and he w walks up to her and he says, uh, Kazakhstan number one. <laughs> No, no, uh, America's number one. But we we have the biggest the box. Well, no, that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't make you number one. We, we have freedom of speech. We have freedom of election. We have freedom. Of, we have we have uh, men with the most of fingers. Well, no, that see that wouldn't uh, see that. <laughs> 
and he is really he is really something. Oh, All yeah. these different characters. Yeah, yeah. He's he's an original, so I really like him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and I I watch him to to such a degree. I also like the Second City people. Mm-hmm. The the three movies I like are Waiting for Guffman, uh, A Mighty Wind. Well, that was my que- next question. The final question was, the, what's your favorite movies? <laughs> well, I, 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 I like these guys. Eugene Levy. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Catherine O'Hara. Uh, that whole group of people. Martin Short. These people are just, uh, I don't know, they're in a league of their own. And, and I really wonder how much of a living do they make. Hmm. But they are they are just, just, oh, they're breathtakingly wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, Charles, I, I, this has been fascinating, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Well, I, I'm, and I, I, I do tend to dominate, and I apologize for that. No, no, it's this is great. This is this is what people want to hear. They well, want to hear thank, you, not me. <laughs> thank, thank you. I, I always say, my wife asked me yesterday, "Are you serious when you say that?" I, I say, "I think my most my most enjoyable place is when is when I'm on the stage, and it's an evening of comedy with Charles Grodin." And I think I'm most relaxed then because no one's going to say, why is he talking? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, I appreciate it. What a great guest. Charles Grodin. I want to thank him so much for taking so much time to talk to us here. And uh, just, just so much fun to hear the stories he had to tell us. And be sure to check out The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk. Because, uh, like he said in the interview, he is not getting a penny from this. It is all going to help causes. So uh, it's a good thing to do. And if you want to buy it, go to onscreenandbeyond.com, scroll uh, to our, or go to our book nook page, and we have a link right there where you can click right on it and go, go out and buy it. And uh, so when you do through us, if you go through us, we're not selling it, just taking you to somebody who does, and uh, one of our sponsors, and it helps support the show. So you win both ways. So we appreciate it if you would do that. If you are for any reason thinking of going into show business, be sure to check this out. It's a... Uh, Gives you a lot of information. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, it's just so interesting. And check it out. Well, like I said earlier, Oscar nominations are out. Best Picture, uh, Amor, Argo, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty are all been nominated. Too many for me. I, I wish it was back to the four, but, you know. That's that's what they're doing now. So, uh, but uh, we want to know what you think is going to win Best Picture. So go to our Facebook page, and you can get there by going to onscreenandbeyond.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the front page and click right there. It'll take you right to it. And uh, tell us, leave us a, a message on our wall. Tell us what you think should be the best picture of uh, the year as far as the Oscars. So uh, if you want to do that, we'd appreciate it, and we'll see how, how well you do when uh, February comes around and they have the actual uh, winner name. So uh, we'll see what you can do with that. So I also want to thank all the people who are sending me emails from around the world. It's just fascinating to hear so many different cultures that are listening to On Screen and Beyond, so many different people. Uh, and uh, I thank you because uh, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to hear from you. And if you would like to email me, just email me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. Uh, I'll get back to you. And also, if you have a suggestion for a guest, feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com is a place to go. And uh, I'll tell you, 
I have been on the phone the last couple of days talking and arranging some great people to have here at On Screen and Beyond for our interview segment. And uh, I can't tell you yet who they are because it's just, we, you know, it, it, nothing's confirmed. But as soon as it is, we will let you know and we'll have a guest here coming your way each week. So um, thank you for joining us. Until next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <laughs>